This is episode 28 of the Sugar Mamas podcast and the fifth in the newly diagnosed series. Today, I'm back with Rachel Halverson, and we're going to be talking about hyper and hypoglycemia. Hyperglycemia, also known as high blood sugar or elevated blood sugar, and hypoglycemia, also known as low blood sugar. That's how I remember it. Hypo is low. Uh, Rachel is a registered nurse, a certified diabetes care and education specialist. She also owns her own online coaching business called Give Me Some Sugar, where she helps primarily women take control of their diabetes management. Not only that, but Rachel has been living with type 1 diabetes for the past 23 years. Without further ado, let's get started. You're listening to the Sugar Mamas Podcast, a show designed for moms of type 1 diabetics. Here you'll find a community of like-minded women who are striving daily to keep their kids safe, happy, and healthy while navigating the ever-changing world of type 1. I'm your host and fellow T1D mom, Katie Roseborough. Welcome and enjoy the show. Before we get started, I need you to know that nothing you hear on the Sugar Mamas podcast should be considered medical advice. Please be safe, be smart, and always consult your physician before making changes to the way you manage type 1 diabetes. Thanks. All right, I am back with Rachel today, and this is episode five in our newly diagnosed series. And today we're going to be talking about hyperglycemia and hypoglycemia. So just kind of the ins and outs of what what it is, how to treat it, and more. So good morning, Rachel. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. Just rocking and rolling. It's Friday here. This episode will not air on a Friday, but it's Friday. So we're ready for the weekend. And it's the end of the school year for us. And I'm like, crawl like army crawling at this point in time. Like it's rough, Rachel, the end of school for the children. (sighs) Everybody's just done, ready to be done. All right. Well, why don't we start with question number one, which is a good place to start, right? So what is hyperglycemia? We'll start with the hyper. So hyperglycemia is what people typically would call a high blood sugar or as we're trying to move to above target. So it'll kind of depend on what your doctor sort of sets up for you. But in clinical terms, I would consider it to be above 170 because that's when we're starting to reach that kidney, the renal threshold. I want to try to avoid being above 170 as much as possible. Okay. But for some, like, especially when you're newly diagnosed, a lot of the times they'll tell you it's above 200. Um, For some people, they might even be saying try not to be above 250. Um, And that just kind of depends on where you are and how long you've had diabetes, the type of diabetes you have. But like physiologically, 170 would and above would be considered hyperglycemia. So that means that there's not enough insulin to cover the glucose in your body. Could you, for people who aren't medical, you said the renal threshold. Renal means kidney, but what what does that mean exactly? Like that's just a that's the number where the kidneys just like can't handle it anymore, or basically. So they 
they that's when they kind of start filtering out sugar through your urine to uh, to compensate to try to get rid of all that glucose um, which is a good thing but if it happens too often the sugar is basically kind of think of it like sandblasting your vessels it's kind of the imagery of it but it it causes the more that happens it causes damage to those tiny little vessels in the kidneys we do that then our kidneys are uh they become less efficient at filtering things through the blood which is their main purpose that's why we check typically you get your urine checked once a year or every two years to see if there's protein spilling over. Um, and that's mm-hmm. just from the long-term effects of, of that sugar um, being filtered out, excess sugar being filtered out through the kidneys. So typically um, when you're above 170 for prolonged periods, then it causes a bit more damage to the kidneys because that's when they start compensating for the high blood sugar. Right. But it does, I mean, it takes quite a, quite a, quite a long time. So if you are, I don't want anyone to like panic time they are above it. Um, but it's typically if you're just hanging out in the, you know, above 170 or in the 200s, 300s for a long time, it can be damaging to the to the kidneys. Yes, we do not want to damage those kidneys. Those things are important for sure. But yes, not to scare anybody. That's like long, long term. Okay. Um, so what are the signs and symptoms if somebody has elevated blood sugar? What would you typically see clinically? Right. So it usually what is very common is the increased urination because those kidneys are uh, doing their thing, getting rid of the sugar. Um, so you may notice that a person with diabetes is going to be peeing more and then increased thirst because we are getting rid of all that urine and all the fluids where um, our body wants to compensate and you're just going to feel real thirsty. Um, some people might experience a headache. Again, it just kind of depends on how long you've been hanging out in in that above target range, but it's general. Those, those two are the big ones. If we start getting into like abdominal pain or nausea, that's, that's when we're in, in trouble. Uh, DK, what we were talking about in a previous episode, but um, if you're just hyper hyperglycemic, then it's usually you'll see it with the, the fluids. Um, so the excess urine and excess thirst. What, um what about behavioral change? Are there any behavior changes that usually come with high blood sugar, like like just a, on a normal, I mean, obviously, if you're running high for prolonged periods of time, you're going to be feeling probably I'm going to go ahead and say awful. And then that's going to make you <laughs> probably not behave normally because nobody behaves normally when they're feeling bad. But what about just like on a normal day, you eat a piece of cake and you didn't bolus well for it and your blood sugar goes up to like 250. Is that going to show any behavioral changes or I mean, I guess everybody's different, but right. Some people yeah, irritability is definitely a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, for both both sides of the spectrum, but um, a lot of people definitely will you'll notice, um, especially in children, they might be a little bit more irritable. Um, I know my my mom sent me when she sent me to school. I found it recently that little chart with the little guy that looks. He's got all the signs and symptoms of hypo and hyperglycemia, and there's one. It says irritability, and she like writes under it. She says. Um, may cry because I just like would usually. <laughs> but, um, so that was, yeah, you, you might notice that they're um, a little bit more likely to be upset and a little more irritable just because they're not getting that glucose to their brain. So they're a little bit more just kind of very emotionally much- unstable. <laughs> Because <laughs> you don't feel feel quite right, so yeah, ability would definitely be one. And after a certain point, too, just be feeling really tired and fatigued. Mm-hmm. Um, 
just kind of slowing, slowing down a little bit. Cause again, you don't quite have the energy um, mm-hmm. you need to, to power your body the way, the way it should be. So that, yeah. that would probably be definitely, you can see some mood changes and personality changes with those. Mm-hmm. So what about, what are some ways to treat hyperglycemia? I feel like the obvious answer is you got to give more insulin, but other than that. Right. So doctor, like you're saying with the in- insulin is really the only mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> way to kind of bring that down. So you'll get like a sensitivity factor or a sliding scale, but they all are based on that sli- uh, sensitivity factor. So a certain number that you can divide your blood sugar by after you subtract it by a hundred um, or your but basically it'll bring your blood sugar back to where it needs to be based on a certain amount of insulin that you give yourself. Um, So you'll want to treat it with the insulin first. And then typically exercise really is like very effective for bringing down that blood sugar. Like we talked about in the DKA episode, if you have ketones in your blood, you don't want to exercise because you're at a point where that's (laughs) going to not be effective and it's going to make it worse. But if if you are kind of maybe like very low 200s or in like 170, 180, 190 kind of range. Sometimes I'll run up and down the stairs a little bit and uh, kind of just get your, get the insulin flowing a little bit more. And then it also will utilize the glucose a little bit better to kind of bring down some of the the blood sugar. And then of course, chugging, chugging lots of water (laughs) to assist the kidneys in flushing out that, that glucose, that excess glucose. So in a bunch and, uh, but just continuing to try to drink as much water as you can during that time, uh, you'll actually see the blood sugar come down just by, by increasing your fluids. Okay. Yeah. Those are two things that we do in our household. Like if it's the blood sugar's up and it's just not coming down. Cause I feel like, do you notice that there's just some days where it just doesn't seem to matter how much insulin you're giving the person, it just is not budging. So we usually will try to go for a walk or ride, go on a quick, you know, like a, just a gentle bike ride or, you know, on top of the insulin that's already kind of in her system, but just seems to be sitting there hydrating always seems to help. Uh, baths are and showers like are our best friend. I mean, my daughter loves a bubble bath. So if she's running high, I will, but I know she has insulin on board, insulin already in there. We will put her in the bath. I'll give her a big glass of water or Gatorade Zero or something. And that always seems to do for the trick for us, which I don't know. That's not something I would really think would be great for somebody that doesn't have a CGM on because you do have to watch those numbers because sometimes the combination of of insulin plus warm water or insulin and exercise can really go down quick. So you have to you have to have a CGM in that situation, I would think, unless you do want to do a million finger pricks. That's a good point. Yeah, the the, the hot water is great because it it dilates those blood vessels and allows the insulin to get to where it needs to go a little bit faster. It's yeah, when your blood sugar is high, the reason why or one of the reasons likely that it it's always so stubborn and it, like that's why I start correcting as 120 is because I do not want to get anywhere near the 200s because it is it's so frustrating and it's so hard to get them to to come down quickly. So, yeah, um it's because our our body there's so much inflammation when when we have all this glucose circulating around which causes more insulin resistance and then on top of that you might feel more stressed out, which again is just making more insulin resistance. So, yeah, that hot water or exercise um helps with bringing down some stress levels a little bit and then Yes. 
kind of dilating the blood vessels to make that insulin absorb a lot better. So, um, and same thing with like a nice little walk or something like that. It kind of dilates blood vessels and de-stresses you and decreases that inflammation. Even if you just go and relax, <laughs> can be. I try to put my like if you have a Dexcom or something or a Libre, um, try to put that away <laughs> because uh, every time I'm watching it, it just it causes more stress. Um, if you are the person with diabetes, and, and same with mom, try to you know not <laughs> not look, not at, look it at it too uh, too often just because it can be really frustrating. But yeah, that that's a good point. Um, and to definitely monitor very closely if you do decide to take a bath or, or exercise a bit because it can drop really quickly once it once it does start. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a really good point about the stress level too, because I know those stress hormones can cause insulin resistance and make those numbers stay up a little higher than normal. But yeah, my gosh, who doesn't love a good bubble bath? Like that's so relaxing. And gentle exercise is relaxing too. Just kind of. Right. All right. Well, let's move on to hypoglycemia. Uh, what is hypoglycemia? Um, so hypoglycemia is the opposite. So it means that we are now below target range and we have more insulin in our body than we do sugar. So typically this would be considered below below 70. And I think that's pretty standard for most people. Some sometimes I think when you have like a younger child or 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 even you know older adults or somebody or if you can't feel uh, low blood sugar as easily as you, you used to or something like that. But um, if you are unable to feel your low blood sugars or something, you, you may notice um, doctor might recommend treating uh, below 90 or below 80. Generally, I think standard would be below 70 uh, is when we, uh, it would be considered hypoglycemia. All right. So what would be some of the signs and symptoms of a low blood sugar for those newbies who are just starting out? So these are definitely a bit more prominent, I think, than the, the highs some people get. And it is very super different um, amongst different people, but typically kind of feeling really weak, super tired. Again, you don't have enough energy. Um, some people start getting a little shaky. Irritability is definitely may cry. Um, just really not feeling well. Um, kind of nervousness, anxiety, because it is, it's a lot more, they're both dangerous, but the, the low blood sugar is, uh, can be like, uh, kind of get quickly out of, out of hand. So I think sometimes the, the that person with diabetes, your body is kind of like, okay, we gotta eat the whole pantry. You may see that too. Like <laughs> we call them the panic munchies basically, but uh, going through and, and trying to eat everything you can. But yeah, and it, it can be a little tricky. I used to babysit um, small children and then I work at like a diabetes camp and it is a little tricky you kind of have to go based off of their mood and I notice sometimes you might see slurred speech a little bit if it's um, especially low and they may not know how to tell you so you sort of have to be like oh okay they're not quite acting acting as they normally would but uh, yeah it, it can be a lot of some some people feel it like in their stomach it's kind of interesting to ask um, multiple people with diabetes how they feel when they're low because it can really vary but Right. They definitely know <laughs> know what it feels like. So I have a, okay. So when we left the hospital, they said, you know, I want to say they gave us the threshold of, I think they said 80, actually. 
ours was like between 80 and 180, which I don't love that range personally. I feel like 80 is not really low and then 180 is like way too high in my opinion. And they told us like eat 15 carbs if she goes below 80 and then wait 15 minutes and if she's still low, eat another 15 carbs. But we quickly found, and again, everybody's different, but we quickly found that 15 carbs was way too many carbs to treat a quote unquote low blood sugar. I mean, 15 carbs is basically a juice box. And if she was like 75 and steady and I gave her a juice box, she would be up to 200 yeah. in no time. I mean, that's just my daughter. So anyway, we've kind of had to play around with it. It also depends, again, if you're wearing a CGM. For us, it depends on the arrow. Like, is the arrow diagonal down? Because then she might just need a couple Smarties or a couple Skittles or a couple sips of a juice box. Is the arrow straight down? Then she might need half a juice box. Is it double arrow down, she's going to need a whole juice box. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, we have stopped a 55 double arrow down with one juice box and brought her up to 120. So, you know, I think it depends on you really just have to play around with it to see what's going to work for your you or your child to bring you out of the low, but without bringing you too high because then you start the roller coaster where you're correcting and then treating the low and then you're correcting the high and then you're treating the low and it's just like a never ending. So so what are what's your best advice for somebody who's a newly diagnosed patient treating a hypoglycemia? Yeah, those are really great points because they do they t- it's the rule of 15 and that's definitely what you should start with and and when you do leave the hospital they typically give you a wider range just because you're starting out and it takes practice, (laughs) especially in children as well. Mm -hmm. Their blood sugars tend to be a lot more volatile, especially while they're growing and and doing different things. So yeah, you'll you'll notice that maybe that that 15 grams they tell you to give at 80 is way too much. (laughs) Some people might be a little bit more sensitive to carbohydrates and um, that Thing. So yes, taking taking notes like like it sounds like you have been doing is is really smart um, to kind of see and paying attention to where it's trending or why we're low. If I'm going below target because I've been exercising, I'll probably need like a lot more sugar just because you're you're probably kind of trending down quite a bit. Whereas if you maybe miscalculated by a little bit uh, after a meal, you might just need you know, a small, like 10 grams, five grams of sugar to bring you up to a good place. But yeah, they, they do tell you that just to kind of simplify. So like 15 grams every 15 minutes, just to make it a little bit easier. Uh, that's kind of like standard. And I think as I think when I was younger, and I see this in small children as well, the 15 grams is quite a bit sometimes. <laughs> um, and then as you as you kind of like level out in your heart, living out. Um, 15 grams usually does it for me. But the new pumps that we have that do the looping, so control IQ or DIY loop, Omnipod will have one very soon. So it'll shut off your insulin as you start going lower. Mm-hmm. You will definitely only need like a few glucose tabs to um, correct that low. So it does also depend kind of how much insulin you have on board as well. So if you're a pump user and you've been maybe in a temporary basal to kind of stop that that arrow going down, then you'll definitely need less sugar because you don't have as much. We're always just trying to balance the the carbs and the insulin. So, um, but yes, uh, when you're starting out 15 and 15, and then it's totally reasonable to kind of consider, okay, maybe I don't need as much or 
my my child can feel their low really and tell me and we really only need to treat it starting at like 70 or, or below that. Mm-hmm. No, that's a really good point about using the pump settings if you're on a pump to treat lows. We, I, it, that's a hard habit to, it, it has been a hard habit to break for me because we went six months, which isn't a terribly long time, but you know, six months with on MDI or injections. So we were treating lows with food and then we got on a pump and it's been really hard for me to remember like, oh, we don't, we don't have to give her, we don't necessarily have to give her food. Like we could actually adjust the pump settings to keep her from going low if we catch it soon enough. I don't know. It's just a hard habit to break. I'm always, you know, at nighttime, especially I'm like, oh, I got to go give her a little bit of juice or, and my husband's like, why don't you just turn our insulin off for an hour? Do like a 95% you know, or 100% temp basal decrease for an hour. And, and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. That's a good idea. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then I don't have to wake her up. Um, yeah, last night, actually, she was like 65. And the arrow was steady, but it, the line just looked like she was going to keep trending down a little bit. And that's what I did. I turned her insulin off for, I think, actually an hour and a half. And she went back up to 90. And that's where she stayed for the rest of the night. So it was beautiful. Beautiful. So satisfying when you get, get it in the right spot. <laughs> oh my gosh, it really is, especially when you're sleeping. So lovely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But those are, yeah, that's a really good point because I, I think I, they told me 15 grams, and uh, growing up, that's what I did forever, and I never paid attention. So, like, even if you don't have a CG, I'm just testing after you treat it is really important to kind of see if you maybe didn't need quite that much or yeah, I did that for a long time. And I, I can only think I must have been over treating like most of my most of my lows just because I, I wasn't aware that sometimes you don't always need need quite that much. Yeah. So I have a question just you have type one, you're a certified diabetes care and education specialist. Is there like the place where you work or the places that you've worked in the past? Do, are there protocols like do they tell you, okay, you have to tell them, you know, 15 carbs, you can only correct for a high blood sugar every three hours? Like, is that a safety? Is that like a liability thing? Do they do that for safety reasons? Yes, um, for the most part. Um, I Yeah, so sometimes when I'm talking to people, I'm like, as a CDCES, I'm going to tell you this, but um, you may notice that this is the case. A lot of, so typically what we're looking at is like the, the standard of the ADA and then the American Association of Certified Endocrinologists um, or ACE. And they're very, uh, they have very low or uh, tight, tight standards on their ranges and things like that. So that's generally what your doctor is going, most of the time what your doctor is going to recommend. I think talking to a diabetes educator will give you more a little bit more insight into the ups and downs of, of diabetes and kind of day-to-day sorts of things because that's what we're kind of trained to do and have a little bit more information about. But uh, yeah, generally we are recommending what those the evidence-based research tells us we should do. The problem with those generally though is that they don't often take into account the fact that we have continuous glucose monitors now with alarms and a lot of people are on those. We have better long-acting insulin than we did. There, So a lot of the times you'll see providers get really freaked out when you have an A1C less than 6. And this is generally because um, the research that we have is a little bit older and it was kind of showing that there was higher mortality, so more deaths related to people with a lower A1C below six. But 
That was before we had Dexcoms that could scream at us regularly or pumps that could shut off our insulin automatically. So I, it's not necessarily super great advice, especially if you can provide proof that you are, you know, the percentage of your lows is, is minimal or not even there, then having a 5% A1C is amazing and, and should be you know, try, to, try to maintain it there. So yeah, a lot of the times you'll see advice like that. And I, I think trying to just remind yourself that your intuition is often very correct and uh, okay to do some of your own research and bring that to your endocrinologist and ask them what their thoughts are and get mm-hmm. a new endocrinologist or a new educator if you feel like the ones you're seeing are kind of giving you like very strict advice and and not to, not able to give you certain things that that you need to to live with diabetes 24/7 <laughs> for for decades and years on it no, that's a good that's a good point. I mean, there's so many wonderful endocrinologists out there, but I know there's some that are just super old school. It seems like, you know, they I, just, I see a lot of parents who are really upset because they're like, our endocrinologist yelled at us because our A1C is 5.6. And we have, you know, they, they say we have too many lows, but like the Dexcom data shows we only have less than 1% lows. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, you're doing a great job, like a fantastic job. (laughs) Anyway, even if you're doing something like horrifically wrong, even though that's generally not happening, your doctor should never make you feel bad. (laughs) If that is ever a feeling that you uh, feel after going to the doctor, it's, you know, go get a different one for sure. Um, And yeah, to their to their defense as well, like a lot of the time they specialize in thyroid or or other, you know, endocrine disorders. So maybe they don't have as much updated information on diabetes. So mm-hmm. um, I, I tend to like, like kind of grill the endocrinologist when I go to, to interview them, like, what's your feelings on off label medications for type one diabetes? Because that's something that is important to me. And, um, and I, I say I adjust my dose regularly myself. Is that something you're going to be able to, to deal with. <laughs> right. So yeah, asking them those sorts of questions is really important because they, yeah, they tend to just kind of depending on, on how up to date they are with research and um, that sort of thing. They, they may, they may act kind of silly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> telling them certain things. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good point. Interview your endocrinologist. Yeah, they work Ask them lots of questions. So you pay them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They do work for you. Okay. I think, Oh, you know what? I did have one more question because I'm curious about glucagon. We haven't had to use glucagon yet. Thank God. But what would it do? Like, let's say, you know, she's at 30. She's unconscious or unable to swallow, you know, so I have to give her the glucagon. Like, what would that do to her blood sugar? Would it bring her up to 1,000, 400? Like, what would be we be looking at? I am so glad you asked because... <laughs> I think there's a lot of there's fear and like kind of some shame surrounded by glucagon injections. Um, I know like my parents used to brag, oh, we, well, we've never had to use glucagon, you know, and I was like, why? Why do we feel this way? Because then yeah. I, I'm concerned sometimes that uh, people won't use it because they're like, well, she's not low enough. I'm not I'm not going to inject her yet. But that's a really good question. I think there's there's kind of like some fear that it'll shoot you up really, really high. It's not particularly predictable. It won't shoot you up to 400 or 1,000 or anything like that. Uh, If you're in the 20s, you'll probably see a spike up to maybe 200. Um, 
a little bit less just because you're so, so hypo. But um, it's not, <laughs> um, I think if it's all you have or something like that, then um, it's still, it's still a low treatment. In fact, we give mini glucagon shots to um, children at camp. So we draw up the glucagon in a insulin syringe and give it as we would insulin subcutaneously. And that mm-hmm. brings up like moderate lows. So especially mm-hmm. when um, someone's sick and, you know, maybe throwing up or something like that and can't uh, keep down oral glucose treatments, um, you can give basically one unit for every year of that that child's age. So if they're four years old, you could give four units of glucagon and it kind of brings you up uh, maybe 30, 20 to 30 points of sugar. So um, that's actually an option. <laughs> um, again, can I, I wish we, we had more options for like therapeutic glucagon because it's also a, not necessarily that our body is missing it, but that it doesn't use it well. But it, it definitely, of course, use it. Typically we use glucagon in an emergency when the person with diabetes is unconscious, having a seizure or just unable, we can't give them something by mouth. That's when, uh, as a, as a uh, clinician, I would be telling you to give glucagon in an, in an emergency like that. Um, and it's right. really given intramuscularly, which is kind of why it's hard to tell how much it's going to bring you up. Um, when you mm-hmm. the muscle, it goes really fast, but it's kind of hard to tell <laughs> when it's gonna, when it's gonna stop, but it does go very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And typically you might feel a little nauseous afterwards just because it's such a quick spike and usually after you've if you've given someone glucagon you want to continue checking every 15 minutes and then Mm -hmm. um, you can give it again after 15 minutes if they haven't gone up at all and uh, just then once they wake up give them some fat peanut butter crackers just to kind of slow down that that spike as you see it going but um no Mm -hmm. It will not, uh, it won't make you like supremely hyperglycemic. In fact, if you are unable to check the blood sugar and the person's unconscious, we still recommend that you give it just in case they they are having a severe low. Yeah, if you're not sure if the unconsciousness is from low blood sugar or something else, just give it anyway. Err on the side of caution. So we have the, um, I think it's, I think you say it best. Basquimi, basquimi, the nasal spray. I think it's basquimi because there's a Q in there. It's the nasal the nasal spray glucagon, which at first I'm like, oh, this is perfect. Like I don't have to give her another shot. But now I'm like, I don't know if I really like this because I can't see myself giving it to her unless she really was unconscious, which right. you know what I mean? Like she, there was one point in time where she was go, she was like dropping and I look, this was when she was on injections and I looked at her little pin because it'll tell you like how much units you gave at the last dose and how long ago. And it said, it said something like 11 units, which for her, that's hum- a humongous amount of insulin at the time it was at least. And I was like, 11 units. Oh my gosh. And it turns out that that's not what happened. Like we had been trying to get the plunger to meet the the insulin cartridge, you know what I mean? So we had been like dialing it up and pushing it down and dialing it up and pushing it down to get it to where it would the needle would prime. So we hadn't actually given her 11 units. We had given her no units. <laughs> or anyway, long story short, uh, like two units or something like that. So I was like digging out the glucagon. I'm like, we might need to use this, sweetheart. This is not my finest moment. I probably caused way too much anxiety in her in this particular moment. And her eyes got huge. She was like, no. And then she's like ran. She's like, I'll just drink a bunch of juice. I'll just drink a bunch of juice. And I was, and then I quickly realized what had happened. I'm like, oh, wait, never mind. Never mind. We didn't give you 11 units. This is what happened. Um, we were trying to prime the needle, but it just got me thinking like, 
she's never going to let me spray this thing up her nose if, you know, if she's not actually unconscious. So I'm kind of considering possibly switching to a different liquid injectable glucagon. So with injectable glucagon, like the Gvoke Hypopen, for instance, that's honestly the only one I can think of right now. Is that something where you can give micro doses or do you have to just do it all at once? The There's like two different versions of it. And I feel the same way about the nasal spray. I am so... <laughs> Like, concern, even giving it to someone that's unconscious, it seems like I'd have to just make sure that their, you know, nose is tipped up. But it works for sure. But it does. It, it's like hard to uh, figure out. And I, I think that's definitely a good option for someone that's also conscious. So if you're self-administering it or something, it's good. But the they have like two different Gvoke pens. And there's one that's more like a syringe where you can get small, tiny little doses because it's got a plunger. And then there's the auto injector, which is really great to give to like a family member or a friend or something maybe um, that doesn't really, especially those OG gangster, like <laughs> the original uh, glucagon kits where you have to mix it up. And mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. that's typically what I would use for the, the mini glucagon. So if you do have one of those, you can draw it up into like a syringe, uh, an insulin syringe. But the auto injector just just, it's like an EpiPen. You just uh, stick it in the muscle and then and then press the button and it just goes automatically. That one would be, it wouldn't, I tried giving myself a mini glucagon with it by just pulling it out really quick and it was not, not effective. So, um, okay. But I do, I really like the Gvoke pens a lot. It's just so fast. You don't have to think about it. You just pull it out of the pouch and just um, give it to someone. And then on top of that, they can stay like room temperature for mm. like quite a long time, I think up to a year or so, which wow. unlike the the original one was not very shelf stable. <laughs> so you had to keep it in the fridge for a while. But but yeah, there there are a lot of options now, thankfully, for the glucagon. It's not just that that kit. But if if you talk to your doctor and they are kind of familiar with that mini mini glucagon kind of thing, especially during illness or, or a time when you're kind of interested in getting those low blood sugars up without having to take in a bunch of bunch of food and drink, mm-hmm. then usually the, the red kits are a little bit easier to draw up because they have it's coming out of a vial, basically. Okay. So last comment slash question. When you're treating a low blood sugar, obviously the best thing to have is like a really fast acting carbohydrate. So we give, like I said, Skittles, sometimes we'll give juice if it's dropping really quickly. What are some other glucose tabs, Smarties? What are some other candies or treatments that are like a fast acting glucose? You pretty much listed most of So anytime it's, uh, as long as it's not like a Snickers or a Twix, you know, where it has fat and protein alongside it, because that's going to slow it down, that won't quite get to you as quickly. So the glucose tabs and the Smarties are are especially awesome. I also, I really like the, um, if you are ever at, I mean, they sell them everywhere, I guess, but basically what like marathon runners use to really quickly get some, some carbohydrates and sometimes yeah. sodium in there too. I know Gatorade makes like little gummies, but those sorts of things are really easy to carry around. Definitely they're kind of, they're like 20 grams of carbs or something. Sometimes they're a little bit higher in sugar, but those can be really effective because they're super duper quick. Um, anything that is like a gel or the glucose tablet, 
the carbohydrates get basically processed in your mouth first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's where carbohydrates start getting broken down. So especially if, if you are someone with like gastroparesis or something, or you're on Simlin or any kind of medication that slows down digestion, glucose tablets and gels are, are important to use because um, your body's not, or if you ate pizza, <laughs> like most of us end up doing. So anytime there's, there's some slowdown, in your stomach, the glucose tabs or Smarties or gels are going to be the best option because they work in the mouth first and will okay. bring, bring the blood sugar up a lot quickly. Oh, that's a really good point. That digestion starts in your mouth, not in your stomach. Yeah, I know. I've seen a couple moms say that like with their kids, like toddlers especially, or if, if a kid's hard to wake up at night and they're treating a low, they've stuck like cotton candy in the side of their cheek because it'll dissolve and just get absorbed into the membrane of their cheek and I've seen li- liquid glucose, which I didn't even know existed, but apparently you can buy that off of Amazon and frosting like cake frosting. If you, which it's so hard for me to think about this at night when kids are sleeping because they're poor teeth. Like, oh my gosh, they're just, but the, I did ask the dentist about that and he's like, it's okay. Like if you can get them to swish with some water afterwards, that's great. But if not, like, you know, think about during the day you go, you know, you might go 12, 13, 14 hours without brushing your teeth. Like they can, they can sleep the rest of the night, four or five hours, however long it is and not, and not have their teeth right out of their head. (laughs) It's going to be okay. But I thought those were good ideas. If you don't want to wake your kid up, you could just put a little bit of that in their cheek or something that, you know, it's not liquid that they would choke on, but that would get absorbed. No, that's, I, cotton candy is genius. (laughs) I know. I haven't tried it yet. I kind of want to buy some just to, Actually, I think we have some. We have some leftover from a baseball game in our pantry. I might shove it in her cheek one night just yes. to see what happens. She'll probably wake up and be like, "What are you doing?" No, that that's really smart. I'm thinking because we, when I work at like diabetes camp, we have you know nine to ten kids in a cabin sleeping, and if uh, you know, they're, that's why the that's why I wish we had more options for treating lows like a glucagon injection because when kids are sleeping, it's like be really um it's a lot to have to wake them up as you as you know so i the cotton candy idea is very smart or yeah anything that you can kind of put under the tongue or or by the cheek um, Mm -hmm. would be really effective so okay i'll have to bring that to to camp start yeah just start shoving it in kids mouths at night (laughs) and that's how rachel got arrested (laughs) as you read a headline yes (laughs) my bad That's hilarious. All right. I think I've exhausted our questions for hypo and hyperglycemia. So we will wrap it up for the day. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Sounds good. All right. That's it for our show today. I hope you enjoyed that chat about high and low blood sugar and how to treat them. As always, I will leave links in the show notes for where you can find Rachel, her Instagram handle, her Facebook page, her website, and her email address if you'd like to reach out and contact her yourself. I hope you guys are having an absolutely fabulous summer. I hope you have a great rest of your week and I will chat with you soon. Bye. Bye.